your pardon. Pray with me again. Let's pray over the word. Father, today, once again, thank you for the precious word of the Lord. You put this on my heart. And there's a reason. There is a reason you put this on my heart. Father, I ask you to anoint the scriptures that we read. They are anointed. Anoint them to us. Anoint your vessel today. Anoint the hearts and minds of your people. Bring strength and bring comfort today. And we love you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen today. I've titled the message this morning, a strange message, a strange title that is, Adversities, Blessing. Adversities, Blessing. Now, the first thing that you might be thinking is, well, Pastor, that's an oxymoron. And that's true. But only if we look at it from an earthly vantage point. Only if we look at it through humanism. But if we look at these verses in this subject of adversity through the lens of Scripture, and through the lens of the mind of Christ, I think that if you open your heart today to what God has to say in His Word, you're going to understand that God can take the pains, the hurts, the difficulties, the trials, the storms, the explainable and the unexplainable, and He can use those as Vessels and vehicles of help and blessing to us in an eternal sense. Adversity's blessings, blessing. Three positive results of adversity. There again, I just emphasize this is a Christian worldview. I'm not saying that no one else in the world has this kind of mentality about adversity and difficulties. But this is most definitely rooted in the Word of God. No trial can conquer you as a child of God. If you will cling to the Lord, listen, if you'll cling to the Lord and you'll keep trusting Him, no furnace of affliction, no lion's den, no sickness, no disease, no persecution, nothing can separate you from, this, from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Come on, we're being held today. We're not being held by some cheap glue somewhere. This is stronger than super glue. Stronger than gorilla glue. Come on, that stuff's strong. You see them do that little boat. They just did a boat or tape. That tape they put together and then they, they go in the boat. I wonder if that's true. I'm going to test that out one day. No, I'll tell you what, I'll let the deacons test it out and let me know. Let me know how that goes. That's right. Yeah, there we go. Here's, a, here's a, a, a great verse. I want to read it out of True Translations, the NIV and the Amplified. It'll be on the screen. The NIV, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, uh, 17 and 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. Now notice Paul is speaking. For our light, our light in momentary troubles. Our, I mean, I read that and it, it's almost comical. Have you ever read what Paul went through? I mean, this guy's beaten with rods and left for dead and probably stoned, for, stoned to death. And the Lord raised him up at a place in Acts 13, 14 in there. And he's, he's so many troubles. But see, there again, he's looking at life 
through the lens of Scripture and not through humanism. And when you view things through the Word of God, it looks different. Hear this. Trials look different. Problems look different. People look different. Things look different when we see them through the eyes of Scripture. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. Notice that. Underscore the word achieving. Are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? What do we do? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, this is out of the Amplified, which I, which I like a lot, by the way. Reading in verse 17, For our light momentary affliction, the slight distress of the passing hour. Hmm is ever more and more abundantly preparing and producing and achieving for us an everlasting weight of glory beyond all measure, excessively surpassing all comparisons and all calculations of vast and transcendent transcendent glory and blessedness never to cease. Since we consider and and, and look not on things that are seen, but on things that are unseen for the things that are visible are temporal they're brief they're fleeting but the things that are invisible are deathless hallelujah and everlasting can I hear an amen in a nutshell In this brief message, I want to remind us that God has a purpose. Let me add something to that. God has a positive purpose for the seasons of our adversity. Listen, see, adversity is accomplishing something very spiritually significant in our lives. I remind us today that everything God is doing is for our good. It may not look good. It may not feel good. It may not seem good in our own human fallible minds. But I can assure you the God that we serve is working for our good individually. Our good is a congregation. But most importantly, He's doing everything for His honor and His glory. Can I tell you, that is my cry. And maybe I haven't articulated that enough. But I have cried out to God incessantly I want this to bring glory to you. I want this to bring glory to you. I want this building to bring glory to you. I want this congregation to bring glory to you. That is my driving prayer, that God may get glory, that when when people look back on what God has done, they'll say, there's no way that preacher could have done that. There's no way that congregation could have done that. Definitely no way those deacons, I'm picking on the deacons today. They sure could have done that. But my, my point is, I'm being silly, but my point is, I want God to do something so marvelous that people say, only God could do that. Only God could do that. There's been a question, an age-old question, that is as old as the first tier and as fresh as the nukes cast this morning. And that is simply this. Why does God allow suffering? And more in particular for us, why does does God allow suffering? Christians to suffer. People that he shed his blood for. And 
It's a question we probably all, all of us ask. But I point out again, just quickly by way of introduction, and that's this. You look at our text, and it says, these things are achieving. The word achieving, which means when something achieves something, it reaches a goal. It reaches a desired end. Now, the truth is, if we're honest with one another, when we're going through trials, storms, and difficulties, many times we can't see anything positive about it. We don't know where it's going. We feel often we feel trapped. Sometimes we wonder what's happening. Sometimes we wonder God feels so far away in, in a lot of these things that we go through. But I want to assure you today, he's not far away. He is with us, and he's working out his will in our lives. Now, I'm going to read a poem, and I really like this poem. I don't know who wrote it. It's anonymous. I wish we knew because we give them credit for it. But it is so powerful. Would you listen closely? Because there's so much theology of what I'm trying to say today within this poem about how that the, the circumstances and situations that we go through, how God weaves and He works for our good. But listen to this. It's called God Weaves the Pattern of Our Lives. God weaves the pattern of our lives. It goes like this, and I'm going to read slowly. Man's life is laid in the loom of time to a pattern he does not see. While the weavers work and the shuttles fly till the dawn of eternity, some shuttles are filled with silver threads. That's those positive moments in life. And some with threads of gold, while others often but the darker hues are all that they may hold. The darker hues are those difficult seasons like Justin and Amanda going through, like Charles's niece. But the weaver watches with skillful eye each shuttle fly to and fro and sees the pattern so deftly wrought as the loom moves sure and slow. God surely planned the pattern. Each thread, the dark and the fair, is chosen by his skillful, by his master skill, and placed in the web with care. He only knows its beauty and guides the shuttles which hold the threads so unattractive, as well as the threads of gold. Not till each loom is silent and the shuttle ceases to fly. Shall God reveal the pattern and explain the reason why? The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver for the pattern which he has planned. Isn't that powerful? Pastor, can you explain why we go through all the adversities we go through? And the answer is no, I can't. No one can. No one can. I, I, I can't explain why many, many years ago, when I saw this dear lady the other day, her name's Priscilla, and you weren't here, but, but many, many years ago, this may have been, this is probably eight years ago, maybe ten years ago, and right here where I'm standing, right here, was a little casket of a little baby. And her name's Priscilla, and she works out here at the golf course. And their grandchild, twins, were born. 
and one of the little twins didn't make it. And they said, Pastor, would you, would you do a service for our little grandbaby? And I said, I, absolutely. And so here on an, on, a, on an off day, none of you are here, we did a little service for the little baby. And the other day I was out at the golf course, maybe a month or two ago, and I saw Priscilla. And I said, Priscilla, how is your grandson doing, the, the one that lived? And she showed me a picture. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how. I said, it has not been that long. He was a tall little, little guy, a young man. I don't know why that happened. I don't know why one of those twins survived and one of those twins didn't survive. There's so many things that I, that I have questions about. But the thing is, I don't question God. These are just things that I don't understand because we're not God. We see through a glass darkly. We have fallible minds. What I'm here to tell you is this, that, that suffering is a part of this world. I can get, there's a lot of things I can't guarantee, but I can guarantee you this. Every one of us, in one measure or another, will have some type and some level of suffering in this life. Here's what Job said. Job 5 and 7. Now listen to this word. I like the NIV here. Yet man is born to trouble as surely and underscore as surely, as surely as the sparks fly upward. Now, every one of us who's made a campfire before, and you lit that fire, and after a while, in that darkness, where did those sparks fly? They always went up. Never did they not go up. They're always going to go up, right? And that's what Job's saying. Just as surely as the sparks of a campfire fly upward, it is just that sure that we're born for trouble in this world. But as my brother J.R. said, we were equipped for this. We were made for this as children of God more than anyone else on the face of the earth. We know Jesus Christ, the great overcomer and the champion that we've seen. And he's leading us in triumph no matter what trouble you're going through today. The Lord will guide you through if you'll cling to his garment. I don't know why God allows it all. But I would just suggest to you three possible, and there may be a hundred. You may come up with better ones and more. But I want you to know there are blessings in adversity. There's adversity's blessing. And I want to name three. Number one, I would say this. And those of you that are a little older in here, and I won't point out who that is. <laughs> but you'll, this will resonate with you. Maybe not so much with our young people, but just, just wait a little while, right? You know, when we were young, we were cockeyed sure. We knew everything. We, had, we, we thought everybody was stupid. You ever amazed how smart your parents got, the older you got? Everybody say amen to that. One of, the, one of the kind of, I would call one of the subtle blessings of adversity is this, is that it keeps this world from becoming too attractive. What are we? What does the Bible say we are? The Bible has many identifying terms. For Christians, we're sheep, right? We're sons, we're daughters. But one of the things that the scripture teaches that we are 
And we need to remember this. In fact, I want to remind you about this. I want to remind myself about this this morning. And that is this, that we are pilgrims and that we are strangers on the earth. Let me say that again. We are pilgrims and we are strangers in the earth. Hear this. This world is not our home any longer. We need to be reminded about this. Why do we, and I say we is me, I'm not picking on you. Why do we get so settled down in this world? More settled down and more settled down and more settled down. And I would, I would tell you that I think it's because we forget who we are and we forget heaven and we forget how transient and fleeting and brief this life is. Notice in the text, in the, in the, it says, in the, the, slight and, the slight distress, Paul, in the text, the slight distress of the passing hour. Life's going to be over very soon. Very soon. Sooner than, sooner than we all imagine. I mean, if you live to 100, it's, that's soon. In the backdrop of, of all of eternity, this life will be over soon. Now think about this. Just as it gets a little darker right before the dawn, it may get darker, but the dawn's coming, friends. I'm telling you, dawn's coming. The day's coming. We're in the night right now. That's what the writers, the prophetic New Testament writers said, that this is the hour of darkness. This is the time of darkness. But notice what Romans says, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Notice, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. I'm telling you, the sun is about to break over the horizon. And I'm not talking about the S-U-N. I'm talking about the S-O-N. Let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Dawn is coming. A new kingdom is coming as as uh, the prophetic word in Isaiah, the government will be upon his shoulders. Daniel saw that kingdom as a mountain that, that a rock cut out without hands smote all the Gentile kingdoms and mountains, and then it filled the whole earth. There's coming a day when he's going to fill the whole earth. His kingdom from sea to shining sea, and he's going to rule and reign as king of kings and lord of lords. He's reigning right now, but he's coming down here to just let everyone know who the real king is. We know who it is. What's his name? Come on. Come on. What's his name? Come on. Say it again. What's his name? Jesus is his name. He's not going to be reigning. The Bible said in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 26, he's reigning now until all enemies are under his feet. There's a lot of these little demigods that think that they're ruling and they're reigning. They're not. Christ is reigning and he's going to show up and let everybody know he's in charge. We're on the right team today, friends. But I want you to hear this. God has something better for us. But it's beyond this life. This is how the ancients lived. They were always looking beyond. They were always longing for eternity. And our great prototype of the man of faith said, it said this of him. Instead, they were longing for a better country, Hebrews eleven sixteen, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. Verse 14, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. I'm looking for the new Jerusalem. I'm looking for that land that is fairer than day. Listen, there, there, if there were no suffering in this world, 
no one would want to leave. We'd build the Tower of Babel, and we'd say, look what we have done. No one would desire their eternal home. No one would prepare for that day when we'll give an account to the Lord. But we have a picture in Scripture, in the Revelation, the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, in the seventh chapter. And there's a group of people, and I believe they're like what I'm trying to say to you today. They went through so much suffering, so much difficulty, that they were longing for God in heaven. They were longing for that place where the tears are wiped away, and where the suffering and pain would be over. Let me read it to you. It's, it's on the screen. Uh, Revelation 7, 9 reads like this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes. That tells you a little bit, doesn't it? And were holding palm branches in their hand. The white robes, that's the righteousness, Christ The palm branches always symbolize victory. In other words, they're in heaven now. They'd overcome. They they cling, they clung rather to the faith of God's justifying grace, not their selfish deeds, not their empty selfish works will never save. But these are people that are washed. They're in the white robes. Do you know we're in white robes today? I know it doesn't look like it on the outside, but we're in white robes today. If you trust Jesus Christ, you are justified and there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We're clean today in the sight of our God because of what Jesus has done. And we're going to have those palm branches one day. We're going to overcome every trial, every storm, every difficulty. Don't give up. God's in your corner. And notice this. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living, uh, and the four living creatures, they, they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked, These in white robes, who are they? Where do they come from? I answered, Sir, I do not know. And he said, See, he knew the answer. And he said, These are they who have come out of great tribulation, and they have washed their robes. Notice this, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now notice this, how do you make anything white with blood? In the natural, you cannot. But this is the operation of the supernatural born-again experience. That God can take a dark, black, and sinful heart. He can place it, His blood upon them when they place their faith in Him. And He washes them white. I want to be washed white in the blood of the Lamb. In fact, it's the only thing that can wash a sinful heart clean. Therefore, notice, they are before the throne of God. They serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away 
away every tear from their eyes. Listen to me. Listen to me. This group has been through trials, storms, and difficulty. Many of them were martyred. The, the tears talk about their, their heartache and their trials and their pain. But notice here, beyond this life, Beyond this painful life is the presence of God where He shelters us. He cares for us. And all the pains and hurts and wounds, He's going to wipe all those tears away. And one day, it's going to be joy for all of eternity. Hallelujah. So maybe, just maybe, God in His grace uses adversity to stir in us a longing for heaven. The believers now in, in Manipur, India. Is anybody even really aware of what's going on there right now? My Indian friend sends me updates. Now, I don't mean to be too crude, but we're all adults here. What's going on there is horrific. Today, not 2,000 years ago in the first century. Hope you're not squeamish. Pastor martyred, beheaded, took his head, placed it on a pole. I was sent the picture. A pastor and his wife stripped naked and made to walk through the streets because they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you, think they, do you think they long for heaven? Do you, th do you think today that those dear people are going, wow, we just have such a good life now. We want our best life now in, here in Manipur. Or do you have a sneaky suspicion that they're saying, I'm longing to get beyond this pain. I'm longing to be with Jesus. That's what adversity does. It's a subtle, hidden blessing that if we get too settled down here, that's not what God wants. God will use adversity to get our eyes looking unto the one who's the author and the finisher of our faith. You know what suffering reminds us of? That this world is only, only temporary. And I tell you, I would say it this way in passing. The more, the deeper your pain, the more your longing toward heaven. Right? The deeper your sorrow, the greater your struggle, the more you long for heaven, heaven just becomes so, so real to you. Now, some of the young people, they think they want to live forever. And that's good. They, they, you know, I understand that. But it, do you notice the longer you live, the more heaven is sweet, er, right? Yeah. I've heard many older people say, I long for heaven. I long for heaven. I think that's a natural Growth in the grace of God. The longer we live, the more heaven is our home. The more we have invested over there than we have invested over here. I've noticed that many, many songs, many, both older hymns and newer songs, both have this, this mention of struggle in heaven. It's, it's like that's a subject, like, like many lyrics, both, oh, there again, both older songs and, new, and the newer songs, there's many songs that come out, and it's about earthly struggle and, and longing for heaven. One of those songs will understand it by and by. Now, just listen to the lyrics here. We are often tossed and driven 
on a restless sea of time. And by the way, a lot of these hymns were poetry. It was just simply poetry. Good poetry, by the way. Somber skies and howling tempest often succeed a bright sunshine. In that land of perfect day, when the mists the have rolled away, we will understand it better by and by. Hear the lyric? That the trials and storms later in heaven will understand. We don't under, we don't, we don't, in other words, the, the writer's saying, I don't understand while I'm going through this. I don't understand why this loved one died or why I experienced this suffering or this. But I know in heaven I'm going to understand it by and by. By and by, when the morning comes, when the saints of God are gathered at home, we'll tell the story of how we've overcome and we'll understand it better by and by. Matt Redman, and I'll just reference this. I, won't, I was going to play it, but then I was told we'd be flagged and we don't want to be flagged. I'm in enough trouble all the time. I don't want to be more, <laughs> invite any. But Matt Redman is a modern singer, great singer, like his songs a lot. He, one, he wrote a song, One Day. Look it up on YouTube when you get home. It's a great song. One day you'll make everything new, Jesus. One day you will bind every wound. The former things shall pass away. No more tears. One day you'll make sense of it all, Jesus. One day every question resolved. Every anxious thought left behind. No more tears. And then the old song, When We All Get to Heaven. When we all get to heaven... What a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and we will shout the victory. Do you hear this? One of the hidden blessings of adversity is it causes us to long for heaven, to long to look beyond this life, to not get settled down, but to get our eyes where they need to be, and that's toward heaven. Can I hear an amen? Now quickly, number two, I would say this. The second thing that I would say, and I've talked about this before, it's amazing how adversity brings the best out. Now, right now, uh, the situation in Hawaii, Cherish, and, and, and one of the first things Cherish and said, let's send, let's send goods. Our compassion was opened up. We want to we help those people. They lost their whole town as the fire went through there. And, and, and over 100 people, I think now, have, have passed away in that fire. And the pain and the heartache... But notice what's happening here. Uh, Cherry said, we don't want to do a food drive. And then people in our church are not up, but a, but a goods drive. And, and so we're going to send stuff over there. And that's what happens many, many times. When, when things are dark and things are painful, God will use that situation to bring forth goodness in people. Notice what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Notice this. God comforts us in our troubles. Why does he comfort us in our trouble? So that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So the, the trials, storms, and difficulty well up compassion in other people. And you think about this. I have seen individuals during difficult seasons Step up to the plate and give food and give supplies and give prayer and give support. And I, I think out of this, out of pain, God can bring good. Now, I would say this. The early church understood suffering. They had a better theology of this than we do. In fact, we almost have none. The American church. 
let me explain. The American version of the gospel, which is not the real gospel, is almost void of this doctrine of suffering and glory. Everybody say suffering and glory. See, in the scripture, suffering leads to glory. That doctrine is so intertwined and and woven through the New New Testament. But the early church rejoiced in suffering. Now what we've seen is the craziest thing over the last several years. We've seen ministers of the gospel that have renounced Christ. I mean, the very ones that should be leading the pack and suffering and rejoicing in their suffering, they have, they have thrown in the towel and said, and not only did they quit the ministry, they said, I'm not even a Christian anymore. I don't follow Christ. That's, I don't know that that's happened a lot. I mean, maybe it has. But here's what I want to tell you. The New Testament church, the first century church, the prototype church, the blueprint type church that God gave us in His Word, they believed that suffering produced positive spiritual results. And they believe that so much, it, it manifested in their everyday life in the pains they dealt with. Let me, let me give you a for instance. Suffering, see, they believe suffering leads to glory. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I mean, no, that's salvation. That is the justifying grace of God through faith. And so, but, but see, in the Christian life, to them, there's more than just justification. There's also sanctification. The way you live every day. And notice what their theology was in verse 3. Not, uh, in which we stand. We boast in the hope of the glory of God, the latter part of verse 2. Verse 3 says, not only so, but here's what we do. We're saved, and our names are written in the land's book of life. But here's what we do during the circumstances of life. Not only so, but we glory in suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love is poured out in our heart through the Holy Spirit. See, they believed suffering led to glory. So when they suffered, they gloried in it. They, they rejoiced in it. It's a total different kind of Christianity than we have today. They, they rejoiced in the face of suffering because they believed it was God's will and God's purpose for them. Remember this verse. Re- give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. They believed when they faced difficulty, instead of getting depressed and discouraged, they rejoiced in it. They said, thank you, Lord. And I have, we have an illustration of this. When the apostles in Acts chapter 5 were told they were arrested for preaching the gospel, they were placed in prison, they had a big council meeting, and the big leader said, you know, they were trying to strategize, you know, if we do this, we may, Gamal said we may be fighting against God, and then here's what we'll do, we'll, we'll, we'll flog them, we'll warn them, don't do this again, and so they flogged them. Now, that sounds very generic, doesn't it? That sounds very, you know, very easy. Oh, they just flogged them. Uh, get a little dictionary. Get a Bible dictionary out. Just do a little study about what a flogging is. That's more than three licks with a switch. But notice what it says. Acts 5. But if this is verse 39, if this is from God, we were not to be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself to be fighting against God. 
his speech persuaded. That's Gamal talking. They called the apostles in, and they had them flogged. I'm telling you, that's painful. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. What does verse 41 say? They quit the ministry, and they started selling insurance. They questioned their call. That's not what it said. These guys have been flogged. These guys have been arrested. These guys have been threatened. And notice this. And this is the same kind of group that put Jesus to death, by the way. This wasn't a nice group. Listen, when your religion lets you kill people, that, you're in the wrong religion. Come on, amen? Yeah. Verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. Come on, say it with me. Rejoicing. What? Rejoicing, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. A total different brand of Christianity than we had today. They rejoiced. They said, look what goody, goody, goody. Look what we get to do. We get to suffer for Jesus' sake. Totally different, right? This, listen, these guys rejoice. This what, I don't believe this was fake it till you make it. I don't believe these guys were just pretending. Hey, let's put on a good little rejoicing show. We don't have any of that joy in us. We're just going to fake it and just let everybody think that we're happy. I don't believe that any of that happened. I believe that what these brothers, Peter and John, experienced was absolutely supernatural joy down in their heart. When, when the suffering and the pain and all that came, the Holy Spirit decided to pour into them such glorious joy that in the face of flogging and threat of death, they could say, we rejoice in anything we have to go through for Christ. That's the Holy Spirit. He does that. What was the pastor's counsel to the people that he served in that first century? Here's what he said. Here's the counsel. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is to come to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. They believed, Paul believed, that when that when they rejoiced in their adversity and their suffering, not only did suffering lead to glory, not only was it the will of God, but also that when they rejoiced in their suffering, it really did something in the other believers. You know, we all affect one another, right? And, and when you see someone that you know is going through a trial and a storm, and then they just, they get their hands raised on Sunday. And nobody really knows what they're going through but a few people, but yet they're worshiping God and they're loving God. It does something for your faith, doesn't it? It, it strengthens. It, it ratchets tighter our faith in God. As we read in our call to worship, that, that we hold on to that faith which we profess, and we will never ever let it go. And I won't read it, but Paul said that his suffering in Philippians 1, 11 through 14, that his, what he had been through had made the other brothers, other people of God, more courageous to speak. Because Paul spoke, it wouldn't be silenced. And all the other people that felt a little timid thought, well, if Paul can do it, we can do it too. Can I hear an amen? Last thing I'll say is this. Adversity's blessing. It causes us, we don't get too settled down here. 
long for heaven. Yeah. But also this. God can use our, our adversity, if you will, to, to silence the enemy. Now, I talked about this the other day. I want to talk about it again. Do you remember Job? Here's the story of Job. And, and Job's, you know, Satan's trying to get at God, and Satan's trying to get at Job. He's trying to get at God through Job. And what happened is he's, he's trying to prove God wrong. But Job's response in adversity silenced the enemy. Now let me put it together and then we're done. This is Job 1.8. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Because he'd already said, I'm going to and fro throughout the earth. What do you think he's doing? He's roaming around trying to wreck someone. And by the way, he's still doing it. And he said, well, you've been roaming around. Have you considered Job? And here's what Satan said about him. Uh, The Lord said, there's no one like him on uh, on the earth like him. He is blameless, upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Notice this. He accuses God. He accuses Job. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. He said, have you not put a hedge around him? And his household, everything he has. You have blessed the work of his hands so that the flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. And here's here's what Satan said. But now, God, if you do this, now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. Put God's people through a trial and a storm. And all that praise All that stuff they were talking about, faith in God, Satan says, it'll evaporate from Trinity Life Church. But notice this. How how Job responded to the adversity silenced the enemy. And I'm going to tell you, we can silence the enemy this morning. You can silence the enemy this morning. Notice what happened to Job. Verse 20, Job 1 and 20 at this. Everyone say at this. Now I'm, I'm piecing this together. The at this was all the things that had, had just happened to Job. I mean, his kids were killed, his house was taken, people raided his flocks and herds, and, and he is reduced to nothing. The at this describes all the pain and suffering. It says, Job, after all that happened to Job, how's he going to respond? Is he going to do what Satan says? Is he going to curse God to his face? That's what Satan said he would do. There's some things that Satan says you'll do. But you don't have to do what Satan says. The Bible says, submit yourself to God. Resist the enemy. And he'll flee from you. Notice this. Job got up. And tore his robe, shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. And here's what he said. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave. The Lord gave to me. The Lord blessed me. Now the Lord is taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised in all of this 
Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Do you hear that? Is that astounding to you? Is that amazing to us? What did, what did Job just do? He silenced the enemy. And when we're going through storms, trials, difficulties, pains, things that are explainable, things that are not explainable, when you stand up, dear ones, and you begin to worship God, and you say in the midst of this, I'm going to give thanks to God, I'm going to worship through this, because I'm, I came in this trial, but I'm not staying here, I'm coming out of this trial. You silence the enemy. You need to, some of you need to silence the enemy today. God silences the enemy. He silences the enemy. Talking about adversity's blessing, and I'm landing this. <clears throat> God will often silence the enemy by using our pain, our weakness, our adversity. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm amazed at Paul. I am. And I won't go too long into this, but I'm amazed at Paul. I'm just amazed. The more I read this, I said, this man is not even real. But he is. He is a great specimen of Christianity. And he said this, and I'm, I'm done. This is 2 Corinthians. He says, and because of the surpassing revelations, great revelations, therefore, in order, that, in order to keep me from being conceited, Maybe that was a temptation in his life. He says, I was given a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I played with the Lord to take it away. I mean, these, I'm sure that's not three little bitty prayers. These are three times of desperately crying out to God. And the, what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Notice what... And this is what amazes me. Therefore, I will boast in all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in. Everybody say, I delight in. Now, who delights in this stuff? No one delights in this stuff. Everybody's trying to get out of all this stuff, he's saying. But Paul says, I, I delight in weakness. I, delight, I mean, I was insulted for Christ. Oh, I just delight in that. I just love that. I delight in hardship, in persecutions, in distresses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What, what is God doing? God is doing through the Apostle Paul what happened in Job. God is silencing the enemy by using a man in weakness and in distress and in pain and in sorrow. And the, and the enemy silenced because God built churches all over the Roman Empire through this man of pain and sorrow. Why? Because the greater the, the, greater the adversity, the greater the grace and the blessing of God. Now consider this as we tie this off. If we look at adversity only from a human perspective, you will never understand why God allows it. You will end up going down the dark hole of human speculation instead of walking by faith and not by sight. But when we see adversity... From God's point of view, that is the scripture, then we will begin to at least get a glimpse of how God uses suffering as preparation for eternity. Huh. 
Adversity's blessing. It creates in us a longing for heaven. It can bring the best out in us. And it can silence the enemy. Let's stand.